Hello, this is episode 307 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Ruddy. So I'm going to end up marking this podcast that it's not clean because I know I'm going to end up swearing in it. I've like waded through so much shite in the last week and sat with it in order to be able to record this podcast. And there was a part of me thinking, oh, don't record it because everyone else is talking about it and they've made it into a big thing and all the rest. But nobody said any of the things I think so I'm going to record a podcast on it. And that's about how we've got to this stage where we reward a sanitized society. So I'm never on the right side of anything. I never belong on the planet. I can't ever just follow blindly. I can't sit on the fence. I remember vividly when I was in the students' union that someone stopped in the middle of the road and told me, O'Reilly, you don't even know what a fence is. And I think it was meant as an insult, but I was like, so what? Like, what's your problem? I'll understand both sides, and I'll take a lot of time to to sit and listen to a lot of arguments and a lot of different opinions and different slants. But I won't do this devil's advocate rubbish. And I won't do, this is what you should have done. And I won't do where you just judge what you did do. And I won't extrapolate out to all the bloody assumptions that I've seen all week. So everybody's talking about how this is overshadowed, this slapping event has overshadowed everything else good that happened at the Oscars. And it's really funny because two days before the Oscars, I found myself Googling, did the Oscars take place during the Second World War? And the answer is yes. (laughs) I'll attach the article that I read on it. And it's quite funny because it was basically like, the war didn't touch Hollywood. They were still so privileged and beyond it and everything else that it actually had no impact on them. And so they kind of needed to have the Oscars and kind of pretend that it had an impact on them and, you know, sort of almost go thrift shopping for their gowns and bring it down a tone and not be so outlandish and all the rest, which I think really sums up the Oscars for me. So ultimately what I see in all these comments around the overshadowing is you're still waiting for the Oscars to declare validation of you. Whatever, in whatever way, whether you're black, whether you're gay, whether you're queer, whether you're deaf, whether you're Asian, no matter what it is, whether you're a woman, we're still waiting for the moment of the first every time when the Oscar goes, oh, it's okay to be yourself. Digest that for a minute. So there's a part of me going, I don't care what this, what this is overshadowed. Because you're sitting around waiting for a pompous bunch of people to tell the world that it's okay to be you. The next part of this for me is that we always reward dishonest communication, like, and the dysfunction of comedians. Everything's okay if you make it a joke. Personally, I can't go to comedy gigs. It's torturous. They always pick on someone in the audience to victimize. And funnily enough, I put it etched in my mind And I can't remember who the comedian was. I know that she was an openly gay woman. And for the whole gig in Southampton, she picked on a guy in the front row who happened to be sitting by himself who had a bald head, funnily enough. She picked on him for the whole thing and everyone else thought this was funny. And I was like, how is this not just bullying? So if I never go to a comedy gig again, it will be too soon. And most people have sided with the comedian because they're too afraid not to. But like, can you imagine like in career guidance in school? Well, you know, 
You've always been a vile little toad who bullies everyone, has a witty jest to make about everyone. You always put people down. You're always that person who just is always on the edge of, you know, it's not quite funny, but everybody's too afraid to go to the next person. Have you ever considered your career in comedy? Like, it'd be the perfect vocation for you. There's other idiots that will go along with this and laugh with you and pay you exorbitant amounts of money to be an asshole. And then the best bit is, I don't know, maybe we just didn't do it in my school, but I didn't learn how to mediate with these people in school. Everyone's expected to know how to get up on stage and mediate these moments. Like, so there's such an expectation of that that maybe you did it in your school because we didn't do it in mine. There's part of the life skills that we, 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 we didn't learn. So if you expect people to know how to do that, maybe we should start teaching it. The extrapolations, the comparisons, this is not domestic violence. The overwhelming feature and feeling and signature that is left behind after growing up in domestic violence is fear. There was no signature of fear on Sunday. Domestic violence is not an honest reaction to something. It's not reasonable. There's no justification. And they don't stop hitting you. There's nothing controlled in it. It's not an adequate response to something. And hence, you're left with this fear for life. You, I know people who walk into a room or walk into any situation of intimacy and think, is, is this safe? They, they have that inbuilt signature from growing up in it. I often cheer when my students stand up for themselves. When I've empowered them enough to go in back into school and, and to snap and to just have just the adequate response, not over the top, not extreme, just, just adequate response where they stand up for themselves. And then they end up and an appeals panel in the school justifying why, why they shouldn't be expelled. And they sit there and they go, but you failed me for two years. You knew this was happening. I told you this was happening. And, and you didn't step in. You didn't solve it for me. So I solved it for myself. And those people don't self-harm. They don't lock themselves away in their bedroom out of society. And they don't commit suicide. That's the reality. And sometimes when they express themselves, it isn't all fluffy and nice and pretty and palatable, but they've expressed themselves and they've stopped being trampled on and they've stopped internalizing all that pain. And people who do that never feel good about it. They always feel really bad afterwards. They, they, they feel really like, they feel shame at having ended up on that level, which is another reason why this isn't at all at like, much of the violence that's portrayed in the world, and ironically, in films. It's an emotional response. It's an honest, raw, emotional response that they feel bad about. But it's honest. And I really can't believe, I don't know what rock people have lived under, if you can't tell the difference between a woman having a shaved head, just because she feels like it and looks awesome, someone who has a bald head due to cancer and chemo treatment, or someone that has alopecia. And I don't particularly want your sympathy. They don't want your judgment. They actually just want you to be able to stand there and see them and look at them. I didn't see one of my best friends 
for her entire cancer treatment. I didn't see her for three years. She didn't take support from anybody because she couldn't face anybody. She couldn't leave her house. She only went out for a walk late at night when she wouldn't meet anybody. That's what society does to women. But that's okay to joke about. That's our expectations of women that they're not supposed to have shaved heads. So when you do end up having to have a bald head, for some reason, it's the end of the world. And then people expect to be able to have an opinion on that. And one of the best parts of this is that that is now off the menu for comedians. And the best stories I've read are, I've ditched my wig. For whatever the reasons you're wearing a wig, I've ditched my wig because I feel able to do that now. But at the end of this, I know who I'd rather be in a relationship with. The person who's standing on stage making a career of either their own insecurities or everybody else's. And they're often the same thing because comedians have a very interesting life journey when you look into a lot of them. The people who sit in the room and who just go along with whatever the reaction should be. Society's expectation. Whether that's being shocked, whether it's having, a, you know, whether that's talking about how it, it impacted and overshadowed you. Whether that's standing up with everyone else to, to honour somebody because you, you think that's what you should do in that moment. Whatever it is. Those people who go along with the crowd. Or the person who's capable of raw, honest emotion even when they make a mistake. I know who I'd pick out of that. And I wish the difference in the world wasn't waiting around for the Oscars to tell them that it's okay to be part of society. Whatever that perceived difference is, whether it's your skin tone or your sexuality or your abilities or your bald head or whatever it is, I wish we weren't waiting around for a bunch of privileged people to decide that's now part of society. And I worry that my students won't just slap the toad next time that they won't have that way out, that they'll internalize this even more and feel like it's their fault, that society is not going to back them up. And that was what was most brilliantly demonstrated on Sunday. And I'm still going to be on the side of my students who stand up for themselves. Because I know how life-changing it is in that moment when they do that. And I know how disaster it is when they don't.